Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Wednesday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. And thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host. And today, yes, we're going to talk about the dangers of common good conservatism. Oh, strap in. But before we get there, want to go ahead and give a shout out to today's sponsor. And that is the one, the only expat money show. Yes, you know him and love him. Head over to briannicholshow.com forward slash expat. And you can join our good friend, Mikhail Thorup. Why? Because you want to make sure you can protect your money that you worked so hard to earn from those ambulance chasing lawyers, nefarious creditors, and of course, those greedy, unjust governments. I mentioned him, our good friend, Mikhail Thorup says, I help people just like you invest internationally, secure second passports and residencies, eliminate your tax bill, and take advantage of offshore structures so you can travel the world freely and never have to worry about money again. And over at the Expat Money Podcast, not only are you going to hear from our good friend Mikhail Thorup, but he has on hundreds of amazing experts who are talking about, yes, the idea of expatriation. And this will be a great precursor, by the way, folks, as you get ready for the Expat Money Summit taking place November 7th through November 11th. Five days, 30 expert speakers. And oh, by the way, did I tell you? It's free. So head over to briannicholshow.com forward slash expat. Get your free tickets today. All right, folks. So we talked about it in the intro. Common good conservatism. Yes, it is in fact there to rear its ugly head. And a lot of us libertarians out there have been fighting the good fight, trying to stand against it for quite a while. But we've seen some newcomers in the political uh, sphere who are starting to echo more of the common good conservative approach and talking about that today and maybe staying a little bit against it. Charles Sauer from the Market Institute. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Charles. Looking forward to this conversation because you wrote a banger over at Real Clear uh, Markets. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here for the YouTube watchers so they can go ahead and check it out as well. But it's over, like I said, over at Real Clear, uh, Clear Markets. J.D. Vance, his common good conservatism is a recipe for disaster. Now, Charles, before we actually dig in to the uh, the meat and potatoes of your article, um, I, I think it is you know something that a lot of our, our audience is familiar with, this idea of the folks like the J.D. Vance's, the Tucker Carlson's, the Josh Hawley's, the, uh, you go through the list of those more squishy, common good, do good, common good conservatism that you've been mentioning here in the article. So this is something we've been talking about here on the Brian Nichols show quite a bit. So let's talk about this. J.D. Vance, he's the, the up and coming starlight in Ohio. Trump's endorsed him. But yeah, he's, he's fighting for this common good conservatism. Talk to us. What is common good conservatism? And why are you weary about that uh, in a world of what? Trumpism, MAGA, and all that fun stuff taking place. Well, I can tell you, first off, it's just nice to be talking about it with somebody who understands from the outset that this is something to be scared of or something to at least be aware of and understand the problems that are associated with it. So common good conservatism is really just the newest innovation of, of big government conservatism. It's conservatives that don't embrace limited government. They embrace a, a, a parental government, somebody who wants to tell us what to do. They want to use government to try to influence our lives in what they consider a moral way. And that's how they personally justify the changes. But the fact is, is what they end up endorsing is a big government approach 
from A to Z. And that's the problem that we see in it. But the issue is, and is the education involved to really turn the tide on this because it follows populism. So you see something like a big tech or Facebook, they aren't showing you the articles you want to see as often as you want to see them. And so they become the enemies. And so politicians pick up on this, like Holly, as you mentioned, has been fighting Google and Facebook now for years and going after them. And that's because his voters tend to agree with him that they aren't seeing the arguments that they want to see on Facebook. Maybe they're not winning enough arguments on Facebook. (laughs) And so they think government should come in and control Facebook in a way that, of course, they should win their arguments because they have the moral side of the fight on their side, and therefore they should be winning these arguments. Well, we all know that that's not the that's not the way it works. We also know that if the market wasn't doing the right thing, that an entrepreneur would enter in and help fix it for them. But these common good conservatives don't agree with that. And the reason I went after J.D. Vance is because if we peel back the onion and go through time, he's somebody that is poked at common good conservatism throughout his career. And he hasn't done it necessarily uh, in recent years, but he did do it when it came to the war with Russia, the Ukraine war with Russia. He pointed out that this probably isn't something that we should be putting single mothers on the front line at and questioned whether we should be dealing with Russia at all, which is a very libertarian talking point, but he just doesn't follow that through the rest of his argument. So I think J.D. Vance is somebody that we need to watch out for. He understands libertarianism, and he goes the other way almost on purpose. He wrote an article in 2019 called Beyond Libertarianism. So he absolutely knows what libertarianism is. And a matter of fact, and this is something I think a lot of us folks, I would, I would identify myself more on the politically uh, leaning right, if you will. Maybe it's more socially conservative, right? But I myself, at the end of the day, I'm a libertarian. I, I believe in the ideas of don't hurt people, don't take their stuff so long, right? As we're not going ahead and then using the government to go ahead and infringe our views on somebody else. So you look at someone yeah. like J.D. Vance, and we mentioned the others, the, the Josh Hawes of the world, really, a lot of the conservative populists that you, you mentioned. And you do see that they look at us libertarians like we have four heads because we are so conservative in our libertarian economic uh, beliefs and principles because at the end of the day, just like the principles that we agree with our friends on the right with regards to free speech, Second Amendment, privacy, we hold these principles to be consistent and that I think is what really drives those those common good conservatives crazy with us libertarians is because they, they can often win the consistency battle when you're arguing with folks on the left. It's a lot easier to go after the purple hair, uh, hair lady who's screeching on the corner with a, you know, a, a sign saying, you know, scream your abortion versus going against the person making a sound, rational, maybe not even an argument, just like kind of a pitch to your gen- general person saying, yeah, maybe we should look at economics the same way in that common sense approach, the principled approach that our friends on the right do when they talk about any other issue, whether, again, going back through free speech, second amendment, you name the, I mean, we just had a whole conversation about the 10th amendment here with the, the issue of Roe v. Wade. So you see there is an appreciation for the principles up until a certain point, right? It's almost like I was talking about our friends on the, the democratic left. Uh, they love democracy until they don't. So we're seeing this also with a lot of the, the common good conservatives. Could you dig a little bit more in terms of what you're seeing for that pushback? So I, I love I love pointing out how their solutions to problems that we see, how common good conservatives tend to solve problems with more government, just like the left tends to solve problems. 
So it's this idea that the government can come to save us, which is really wild to me about how far we've moved away from even Reagan, who honestly, if we look back, wasn't like this super conservative, but he did tend to always come up with small government solutions or ideas, eh, unless it was military. (laughs) But when it came to government, the way that he talked about it was small government. The government is not here to help you. And these new common good conservatives don't talk about it that way. So as an example, I, I mentioned this before, but when we talk about a Josh Hawley and a Ted Cruz and their attacks on Google and Facebook, they're really looking to use antitrust laws to not just hurt these companies or not just change the companies for what they want, but they're actually looking at using antitrust laws to hurt the companies themselves. So like uh, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz believe that uh, Amazon isn't selling uh, some some right propaganda or that Google is editing search, uh, the search displays and the search, uh, their search engine showing more left-leaning ideas. And Facebook isn't allowing people on the right to post stories. And so instead of just saying, look, Facebook or Google, you need to allow all of all of the search queries to show up, which would be an awful idea. Uh, but instead <laughs> of doing that, they're also looking further in and saying, all right, you can't do mergers. You can't self-preference your products. You can't do these things. You can't provide the products in a way that you want to provide them because people like that. So not only are they going to try to force these companies to show a message that they support or they think is moral, but they're also trying to use the law just to take a baseball bat to the companies. And look, I don't care what you think about Google. I don't care what you think of Amazon. They're all big companies. They can take care of themselves. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, if you write regulations that affect the way that big businesses can run their own business, you end up stopping the small guy from becoming the next Google because you put in this level of regulation in there that just means that investors don't want to invest in you and they don't want to take you over that hump because it's expensive and and it has high liability. Your chances of failure are high, especially when Google or Amazon or Twitter already has this market share. So what we see are these problems that are introduced by more regulations. And so these guys on the right are not only trying to solve their own problems, but they're holding a grudge against that. And that's what we see with all big government politicians. And that's why it's really scary from the right. And again, J.D. Vance is just the newest star. But as you pointed out, Holly's big. Ted Cruz, I don't really find as much of a problem because he tends to just go from bad idea to bad idea. So he'll be on to something on the next news cycle. But Josh Hawley is an issue. The fact that uh, uh, Grassley is with him from Iowa um, and the fact that J.D. Vance, this new star, is with him. And, of course, Donald Trump has been there uh, for quite a few years as well. Yeah, there's a lot behind the scenes that that makes this kind of tick. But, I mean, unintended consequences, uh, how surprising, right, that we in the liberty movement talk about this literally everywhere. We, we see issues almost nine, I say nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten. The issue that we're talking about has inevitably been caused by some do-good government pro- uh, problem that was, or uh, policy rather, to solve a problem from, you know, yesteryear. And, and you see, to your point, it takes ten years. 
five years. And now with just how fast things are going and how fast technology is advancing, the problems that government's trying to solve inevitably end up being solved by technology just you know exponentially faster. But then, and this is the part I've noticed, Charles, I'd love to hear if you're seeing this as well, but government's solution to the problem ends up, and we are just talking about this here, creating more of a, an issue to those solutions that are being created in the private sector, and to your point that you raised up earlier, how it keeps out those small competitors, the next Amazon, the next Google. But also, we are seeing, though, with the kind of getting away from this old Web 2 to Web 3, that a lot of those problems that government was creating now, they're just being completely removed from the government uh, public sphere. We're, we're saying, you know what? We're tired of trying to continually solve these problems and then give it back to government and say, don't break it this time, okay? And what do they do? They break it, of course. So instead, we're saying, you know what? We're not gonna, we're not gonna rely on you to deal with the monetary policy anymore. We don't trust you anymore to deal with the monetary policy. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna invest in Bitcoin, Ethereum, alternatives. Uh, you know what? We don't trust you in disseminating what is considered truth versus uh, opinion versus complete falsehoods, what is misinformation versus disinformation, the government's deciding that? Uh, no, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to completely remove ourselves from a, a, an internet where we could be regulated, where we could be restricted. So you're seeing the advancements in technology answering the questions that we see, but a lot of our friends, and, and I almost said the left, but it's in more of that do-good conservative camp, they see it, but they continue to want to bring these, these policies to the forefront. Charles, do you see technology is it advances solving a lot of these problems just by the the fact that they are overtly non-government solutions? I guess I might say it a little bit differently. I, I think you're right that government so or technology solves these problems. But in this case, on this issue, uh, it might be even a little step um, easier than that or a step <laughs> more interesting or, uh, to this. So as you make libertarian arguments on Capitol Hill or in life, you have the, the big GOP pushing back on you. In this case, the Heritage Foundation. <laughs> I live and work in Washington, D.C. I spend a lot of time on Capitol Hill. I spend a lot of time walking the halls of Congress, wearing out shoe leather, basically having the same message for the past you know two decades of saying what we need is less government. And they go, aha. But in this case, we need more government. And you say, no, that's never the case. More government makes it harder to write, uh, innovate, right? And so in this case, what has been amazing is they wrote this bill and the Republicans jumped on board and they gave their their voice to it. And then we saw the market actually push back on what these big companies were doing. We saw the markets react and take Facebook down 26% in a day. And we saw Elon Musk come in and buy Twitter. And so while we didn't necessarily see new things taking their place, I mean, in Facebook's case, TikTok is taking away market share. Uh, other other online platforms have been taking away market share. But uh, Elon Musk coming in to take over Twitter is amazing. And the way that markets work and the way that I've been explaining to the Heritage Foundation, to the right now for years, the way that antitrust doesn't need to be applied. And instead, we need to look on the aggressive side and look towards innovating our way out of the problems that they're talking about. So in the end, I agree with you. I just think on this issue, we saw the market work and like just tank people like Twitter and allowing Elon Musk to come in and buy it. I think that Facebook went down far enough because of the decisions they've made. You could see some sort of a takeover of Facebook, even though their market cap is huge. 
there's a lot of capital out there in the world to move around. And they have this platform that people could buy if they saw the opportunity to come in and make money or whether the opportunity is more in starting their own platform and competing for the future market that way. So Charles, this this might be a little bit off topic, but I'm curious, right? Because I see this, we've... <laughs> We in the Liberty Movement have been having this conversation at least since 2016 in terms of, well, where's the GOP going to head when Donald Trump is president? Because he pretty much was bull moose in China shop in terms of being the nominee in 2016. And with that, he really changed the direction a lot of the folks in the party were going. You had folks who were gravitating more towards the Rand Pauls. Heck, I actually think I remember it was a Time Magazine who did an, a piece back in 2015, the libertarian moment in America, and they had Rand Paul, of all people, as the person on the cover of their magazine because there was a poll that was done prior to Trump entering the race where Rand Paul was the leading nominee for the Republican Party. So there was an overtly, overtly libertarian bent in the uh, the, the GOP. And, and now you see, fast forward to, to 2022, the GOP, we had this big split, right? You have, to your point, the libertarians uh, in the, the the GOP who are the small L libertarians. And then you have yep. a lot of these common good conservatives. And then I'd say more of the establishment folks, right? So you have yep. three real, I say feuding, they're not really feuding, just kind of pulling the, the, the proverbial tug of war rope, right? Three different directions for the control of the GOP. Meanwhile, Democratic Party, they're a hot mess. They got, you know, senile old man as president. They cannot figure out who's going to be taking over next. They have a terrible VP. They have, who 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 waiting in the wings to be the next person leading the Democratic Party? AOC, good luck there. And then you have the Libertarian Party, who has unfortunately been relegated to the little kids table for the past 40 years. Now, over the past few months, they've really had a big changeover at the Libertarian Party now. National headquarters where you've seen the uh, the Mises Caucus take over the the messaging the the party influence and now we're hopefully going to see a little bit more of what we're talking about here the, the pro liberty messaging towards folks but there's a lot of questions that still have to be asked in terms of there's chaos in three of the three leading uh, political parties in America so I say all that Charles. Where does this leave us, right? We, we have the GOP that's fighting. The Democrats are fighting. Libertarians have been fighting, continue to fight, and probably will still be fighting fast forward to 2022's election and beyond. So where are we headed, right? Is, is there a party out there who's actually standing by the pro-liberty message and, and standing as a foil to the J.D. Vance's, the Hawley's, the common good conservatives? Uh, I think that one of the right things to do here is to kind of ignore the noise and ignore the chaos and keep pushing forward with good ideas and good policy, because at the end of the day, that's going what's going to win out. And while the public seems to have kind of a short memory on those things, I think the more times that we get it right, the more times that the public will start figuring out the right side to be on. And that does tend to be on at least the right of center libertarian side. But it, it's always going to be on the limited government side of these uh, debates. And so as long as we keep the message going, I think that the other people will will figure it out. So kind of that mainstream GOP that you're talking about, they're always looking for the good policy solutions. I think you've got the AOC that's are, are burning bright right now. Um, and she's going to move the party in one direction. I think that that's kind of like the J.D. Vance's and the Trump of mm. our side. They're going to move the party. But there's really a, a pie that's kind of can grow wherever it wants to. People can grab it. 
but the winner is always in the long run going to be the people with the right policy choices. So if we ignore the noise and continue on, we will keep making the right decisions. And at the very least, we will be helping move the policy decisions in the right place. Look, the 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 intellectual side of the libertarian movement is really as strong as it's ever been. Um, we have um, my uh, sitting in my office every every day is uh, one of my good friends and a guy that works with me is Norm Singleton. Hmm. He was Ron Paul's kind of legislative brain for yep. like two decades or more, and uh, so. We're currently having fun knowing where things are and knowing that there's this opportunity with these big government conservatives kind of losing their fights and being proven so openly that they were wrong, that we know that there's room for us to come in and step in now that we're being proven correct. But look, their message is it's just easy or it's small, uh, it's populist. And they keep it very short and concise and they just keep repeating it. So they have kind of this messaging piece to their side. We have what's right on their side. And as you pointed out, the left is currently lost. Look, the biggest things on their ticket were uh, sponsored by uh, President Biden and enforced by Kamala Harris. And so they have no idea what they're doing right now on the left. So we do have time on the right and in the middle to figure out what's going on and figure out a good direction. And I, I think that that's going to be a more libertarian direction, even if that's just more towards mainstream conservatism instead of the common good conservatism. Charles, you said a few things there I wrote down because, man, does it ring true to what we've done entirely in terms of changing the direction of the show over the past two years. So for those of you playing along in the home game, we've been doing this show now since 2018, and we started out overtly your traditional libertarian podcast, who were libertarians on the show, and we talked about libertarian things and how great it was. And then around like 2020 or so, I said... Yeah, this 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 isn't getting us anywhere because yeah, we're right. Our ideas make sense and we we win when you take our ideas and you put them into the battle place of ideas, but then in the battle place of winning hearts and minds. Why are we having such trouble? And I as a sales professional and sales coach, I said, "You know what? It's because we're not effectively messaging. We're not effectively selling our solutions." And to your point that you raised up earlier, what what are we competing against? We're competing against messages that are very easy. They're short and concise. They keep on repeating them ad nauseum. Guess what? That's that's marketing right there. Staying top of mind, making it easy for people to not only understand what it is that you're presenting as your solution, as your service, but then attach the meaning to it. What does it mean? Why does it mean something to me? And that's where we've been failing. We've been failing so badly is attaching the meaning of our libertarian values to the problems that people see right now and how we can actually solve those problems and what it means for them. So to, to the libertarians out there, to you folks who are like, yeah, what can we do? Do what we just heard our, the, our competitors are doing. Let's start making things a little bit easier to understand. We should talk about our issues in more simple language and in more concise language. And also when it's issues that are the most important things to the people we're speaking about, uh, speaking to, let's lead with those issues. Some may even say meet people where they, uh, where they're at on the issues they care about. Who would say that? I don't know. But Maybe, just maybe, if we took that approach versus trying to good idea people to death, we'll actually find that we can win more people over, not by our good ideas, but by the fact that we're showing our ideas make sense, they're easy to understand, and oh, by the way, they can actually be implemented and we can see they can, they can actually 
bring us from where we are <laughs> to bring us to where we want to be in a tangible timeline instead of, well, this would be really nice to have one day. So I'm going to take a step off my soapbox here, Charles. I apologize for that. But this has been, I mean, what a great way to kind of summarize why we do what we do here at the Brian Nichols Show in terms of what the issues we're talking about and where we're lacking. And you guys are doing great stuff over the Market Institute, obviously, helping bring these ideas, making them simple, whether it's talking about funding students, not systems, like our good friend over at uh, Corey DeAngelis, um, zip codes shouldn't determine education to uh, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Easy things that we can go ahead and in, uh, implement here. Uh, you're doing that from an economic standpoint. Talk to us. The Market Institute, what can folks go ahead and uh, come to expect and learn as they go ahead and check you guys out? And also, Charles, where can folks go ahead and find you if they want to continue the conversation? So we have our website, of course, at marketinstitute.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Charles Sauer, S-A-U-E-R. And uh, coming out, we have some really good stuff. So we like kind of doing the fun stuff or taking the Mark Rober type of ideas and putting those out for policy. So we have a great video on YouTube that shows how regulation slows down the patient doctor relationship. Uh, We have a game up on, um, on both the Apple store and on the Android store that shows how it's called flappy business that shows how government regulations make it impossible to grow to the size of these large companies if we have more regulations. So we try to have fun and do good stuff. We're getting ready to come out with a paper too that you should keep your eyes out for that shows kind of the history of antitrust legislation in the conservative movement. And uh, not not to spoil it, but (laughs) they really have never supported attacking big businesses like they are doing today. So uh, I think it's an interesting paper, but follow that on marketinstitute.org. Perfect. All right, folks. Well, how about this? We'll make it easy for you. We'll include all those links over at briannicholshow.com. And for you audio listener, we'll, we'll make it even easier for you. All you got to do is go to your podcast catcher, click the artwork for The Brian Nichols Show. It will bring you right to briannicholshow.com where, yes, you can find today's episode. You can find all those aforementioned links, but also you can find the entire transcript of today's episode. And oh, by the way, we have a YouTube uh, version of the program. So while you're over at briannicholshow.com, you can see the YouTube version of the show right there. Make sure you hit over to YouTube, hit that subscribe button, of course. And uh, while you're there, make sure you hit that little notification bell so you're not missing a single time. We have an episode go live like we have here today on Wednesday. And uh, other than uh, that being said, folks, thank you, as always, for joining us on the program. I always get such value out of these conversations, especially when we're seeing that this is currently the tenor of the conversation, not just in the Libertarian uh, libertarian Party, but also in the GOP, and frankly, in the Democratic Party. Where, where are we heading? And we've seen this, and I mean, again, to go back in my soapbox, Charles, but we've seen this time and again over the past few years. People are starting to wake up. They're saying, this doesn't make sense. What's happening? And they're looking for alternatives. It's on us now to actually meet them with these alternatives, make it real, make it simple, and of course, uh, make it uh, tangible and uh, meaningful for them. So with that being said, folks, thank you for joining us on today's episode. By the way, did you check out our awesome episode we had yesterday? We had Daniel Miller from the Texas National Movement. Texas, it's right around the corner. Texas is one vote away, Charles. Did you know that? One vote away from actually becoming an independent nation. The GOP just went ahead and uh, adopted Texas secession to their platform. You want to go ahead and check out that awesome conversation. I'll include that right here below in the uh, the video. Make sure you click that. It'll bring you right to yesterday's episode. And I'll make sure I see you there. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off for Charles Sauer from the Market Institute. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. 
enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to The Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today.